Okay. We're going to take communion um, in a little while together as the body of Christ. But um, we're going to use it in one sense as a, as a practical application of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Great. Well, this morning we are continuing our journey through the letter to the Philippians. And uh, the, the theme of this series is all about finding joy, finding joy in the Lord. The, the whole uh, book of Philippians, it's, it's just filled with rejoicing and joy despite very difficult circumstances. This morning we're going to be looking at, looking at finding joy in relationships, finding joy in relationships. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at uh, towards the end of chapter 3, so if you want to just put a, a finger in there, that would be great. Think about relationships. They can be the source of the most amazing joy. You know, they, they can be filled with a sense of feeling loved, feeling accepted, feeling understood. It's all about relationships, isn't it? You know, when we are on our deathbeds, we are not, it's very rare that people say, can I be surrounded by, by all the things that I've been able to buy? Or can I just be, can I just stare at a list of my achievements? No one ever says that, do they? They want to be surrounded by the people they love and are loved by. It's all about relationships. Greatest source of joy. They can also be the greatest source of heartache and pain and conflict. Relationships can, can fuel life. They can also suck the life from us. And you could argue that the Christian life, it's all about relationships. It's all about how we relate to God, the very fact that we can relate to God through Jesus, but also how we relate to one another. As Jesus summed up in Matthew 22, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's about loving relationships. And, and we've seen that throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians. He highlights time and time again the need for unity. We looked at joy and unity a few weeks ago. The need for humility to model this Christ-like servant-heartedness, this selfless example of Jesus. You know, as, as we've looked at, we, we can only enter into a right relationship with God and with each other through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross that we've been celebrating this morning as we've been singing and rejoicing together. He is the one that destroyed the barrier of hostility between us and the Father, but also between each other. Brought us into right relationship with God, but also right relationship with each other. And Paul's been laying out quite a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching in, the, in these uh, couple of chapters. He's now getting to a point of saying, okay, over to you, let's put this into practice. 
Let's live out this unity. Let's live out this humility. Let's live out this truth of the gospel in everyday life. Let's grow in maturity in our Christian faith. Growing in maturity is not just gathering knowledge. It's living it out. It's being changed from the inside out. And that's really his heart. And, you know, it's why he said in, in chapter 127, he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know the gospel, now conduct yourselves in a man manner worthy of it. Live it out. Live out this gospel that unites us. Live out through the grace and enabling of God. He goes on, standing firm, one spirit. We looked at this the other day, didn't we? Striving together as one for the faith. Again, chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded. It's that unity again, having the same love, being one in spirit again and one of mind. Time and time again, he's encouraging this united, loving community. You know, just that phrase, make my joy complete, kind of suggests that when there is a breakdown in unity, when there is a breakdown in relationships, when we're not being like-minded, when we're not being one in spirit, then joy is incomplete. It breaks our joy. Pursuing healthy relationships, therefore, really matters. It really matters. It matters for our own joy, our own growth, spiritual growth. But it also matters for the gospel, matters for our witness. So in the section we're looking at today, Paul is starting to give some really practical pointers. As I said, he's done the teaching. He's now saying, let's put this into practice. Practical pointers, how to live out this, this faith well, particularly in the area of relationships. So let's read from verse 17 of chapter 3 together. He starts off basically by saying, look, let's look to good examples of those that are living out the Christian faith. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as, our, as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You know, he's probably alluding to those Judaizers we looked at last week. But our citizenship is in heaven. Again, it's going back to that, having that eternal mindset. As we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Again, we've been celebrating that this morning in song today. Keep your eyes on those who love as we do. There's an awful lot of negative and bad role models in life, aren't there? People hungry for their own glory, their own fame, their own success. And, and guys, we mustn't get sucked into that mold. You know, Romans 12 too. Don't get conformed by the pattern of the world. Keep your eyes on those who will do you good. You know, 
you know, we all need people in life we can look up to. All of us do. To see how they do life, to see how they handle those difficult situations, to see how they handle relationships, how they look after their family or their loved ones, to, to see how they're growing in their faith. See how their walk with God is progressing. You know, and in saying, hey, look to me, Paul isn't being big-headed here. You know, he, we've, we've already seen that he spent a whole section rubbishing his own credentials, his own fleshly credentials. He said they are basically like excrement, do you remember? But instead, he places all his accomplishments under the banner of God's grace. He's boasting in God's grace, not his own achievements. You know, he's also acknowledging that he's not a finished article. And I think that's so helpful to, to, to remember. You know, just the section before in verse 12 to 14, he says, not that I've already obtained this, you know, or I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. He's, he's still a work in progress like all of us. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. There is nothing wrong in recognizing what God has done and is doing in your own life and using it as an example for others. It's kind of what the paraclesis thing that Andy mentioned. Remember our series on paraclesis, coming alongside others, using the, the grace and the truth that we have discovered in Christ and, and coming alongside and helping others. You know, we've all got different experiences. We've all got different, different treasure that we can share with one another. It's not boasting in ourselves, it's boasting in God's grace. And Paul is simply saying, follow my example as I continue to press into all that God has for me. There is something very beautiful and very mature when we want to emulate godly characteristics in others. When we purposely develop relationships that will do us good, you know, we're not putting people on a pedestal. We're recognizing God at work in their lives and saying, I want some of that. I want some of that. I want, I want someone who will spur me on. I want someone who will challenge my lifestyle. You know, when we start recognizing the fruit of the Spirit in other people, their gentleness, their patience, use it as an inspiration. Speak to them. Be an encouragement to them as well because they might not even see it in themselves. Do you have people in your life who will do that for you? Can I really encourage all of us to do that? I mean, even as, as a, a bunch of leaders, New Ground, the family of churches we're connected to, the, 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 the lead pastors are developing intentionally much, much closer relationships. We were around there, myself and Claire, around for dinner last night. And it's something really precious when you have people who can spur you on, those close, accountable relationships. You know, there are people there who are so much more experienced in different areas of church ministry, church life, life itself, than I am. And I can draw on that. It's something that models real unity 
real oneness of spirit, when we see this, this God's passion in their lives, when we see their, their, their discernment or faith or courage, we can draw alongside them. I want to emulate. I want to draw something from, from what I'm learning from your example. I think it's also important to remember that as we do that, you know what? We ourselves become examples to others. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. It's not one way. You know, and, and possibly one of the most rewarding things that we can do in this life is to encourage another to live out their faith in Jesus. To see them reach their potential in Christ. To see them pressing on and taking hold of, as Paul says, that which Christ has taken hold of them. And you know what? Each of us has the potential to do that. Do you believe that? doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or, or what your life experience is. Each one of us has the potential to be an example. That's what we're called, isn't it? As followers of Jesus Christ. We're witnesses. We are to be an example as well. Again, there's that question, an equally important question. Is there someone that you can encourage and spur on? Just have a think about that. People in your friendship circles, people in your, your areas of influence. Is there someone that you can proactively engage and encourage and spur on? Because as I said, that is a source of massive joy and strength personally for us. That's why Paul goes on in in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. You know, Paul could describe this church in Philippi as his crown. You are my reward. You are my joy when I see you standing firm, when I see you going on in the things of God, when I see you just pushing through difficult challenges, when I see you just continuing in your faith, that is my reward. That is my joy. Do you know that joy in your relationships with others? There's real joy to be found as we encourage one another. You say, well, yeah, but Paul was, Paul was an apostle. Paul was a church planter. You know, that, that's kind of his job. That's just called job satisfaction, surely. But as I said, I think we all have that role to play. You know, not just in, in, you know, when we gather as church or in life group, although that is very much a wonderful place to to do that and exercise that. But what about in our workplaces? You know, what type of friend are you? What type of colleague are you? You know, are you one that, that sets an example of humility Godly passion for whatever your hand is called to do. You know, are you modeling something opposite to those who are hungry for their own glory and fame and success? Are you, are you ministering in a different spirit there, an opposite spirit? Are you seen as the person, the go-to person when difficulties arise? Because people know you're not going to gossip, you're not going to judge, you know, maybe they see there's an inner peace, there's a deep wisdom in you. Do they recognize that? You know, each one of us can change our relational environment. 
Each one of us can set a different tone. You know, we're, we're, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. We are taking God's Spirit with us wherever we go. We have the authority in Christ Jesus. We can be incredible examples. In our relationships, let, let's look to follow great examples, but also be great examples. Relationships can be the greatest source of joy. Greatest source of joy. But they can also be a source of great heart, heartache and pain. And the truth is, whenever there are people involved, you've heard the saying, conflict is inevitable. Communication breakdown, misunderstandings, it's inevitable. And the church in Philippi, this crown, this reward, this joy in, for Paul was no exception. You know, after laying out this appeal in these previous chapters for, for unity and humility, Paul now points to a very specific situation in the church itself. He highlights it and actually names two people in the congregation who are at loggerheads with each other. Let's just read from verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, I plead with Iodia, I plead with Syntyche. They're not common names, are they? Maybe because of this. To be of the same mind in the Lord. There, that, there's that phrase again. Same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. You know, Paul doesn't do this very often, but he, he name checks them. He calls them out. You know, I, I just think that highlights the seriousness of this situation, that, that actually this, this conflict, this disunity needs addressing. And don't forget, these letters would have been read out publicly, out loud to the gathered church. You know, oh, we've got a letter from Paul. Let's all gather. What's he going to say? Imagine being one of those two. It's like... <gasps> Oh, my word. We've got to get this sorted, haven't we? He calls them out by name. Because the truth is, particularly in the family of God, whenever there is conflict, however private it may seem, well, it's just between us two, it will eventually impact the whole community. It will impact the whole family. So who were Yodia and Syntyche? Well, we know these were mature Christians. You know, they, they, they weren't just, um, just arrived at the church with a whole lot of baggage. No, they, they were pioneers. Paul describes them as contending at his side for the gospel. Must have really saddened him, mustn't it? When he heard that they were now at odds with each other, that they weren't getting on. Unresolved conflict. This, this disunity sucks the life and joy out of the community. Say it again, our relationships with each other matter. If we're out of sorts with someone, with one of our brothers and sisters, it will also impact our own relationship with God. 1 John 4.20 Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. 
It's pretty, pretty blunt, isn't it? I mean, the message is even blunter. The message translation says, the command we have for Christ, from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to have both. You can't be at war with a brother or sister and be right with God. It's as simple as that. And yet, as I said, wherever people are involved, conflict is inevitable. It's just part of life, something that we need to be mature and grow in handling. And just to say, conflict in and of itself is not always wrong. Not always wrong at all. Conflict can be a very necessary way to bring about change. Think of Jesus' life. He didn't shy away from confrontation, particularly with the religious leaders of the day. He didn't shy away from that. He didn't shy away from confronting his own disciples, bringing them up. Actually, this isn't right. It's the same with the apostles as well. You think of Paul confronting Peter in Antioch. Peter was, was, was kind of tempted to, to disassociate himself with the Gentiles, to try and uh, avoid criticism from from. James' Jewish friends, oh, what will they think of me? I, I, I know the gospel, but actually I'm going to act differently around them. And, and Paul brought him up sharp. This is wrong. This needs addressing. There are legitimate things that we need to take a stand on. And in, inevitably, that will cause friction. That can cause conflict. But I think the golden rule we have to remember in all conflict is that we need to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Most conflicts become destructive because either the truth wasn't conveyed, you know, either there was a, a misunderstanding or something was spoken out of turn or spoken falsely, or there was just a, a miscommunication. So often that can cause conflict. Or there was no love shown. It might have been true what was said, but it was said in a hurtful way. It caused offense. And so disunity festers. Resentment festers. We need to speak the truth in love at all times. And I was just trying to think of conflicts in my own life. And I think it's, it's fair to say, more often than not, our conflicts become more about our emotions than they do about the actual issue that sparked the conflict. You know, so often this, this disagreement might have been started by something very minor. But then we allow our... You know, what we do, we, we stew on it, don't we? We say, I can't believe they said that. What right have they to say that? You know, I mean, they could have said it in a different way, couldn't they? We, we just stew on it. And we get to a point where it's like, well, I feel really hurt, or I feel rejected, or, or I feel ignored. I feel unheard. They just weren't listening to me. We allow our emotions to start to motivate us to prove our point, to defend our honor, to, to, to I don't know, pride steps in, doesn't it? Pride steps in and, and sides are then taken. We start point scoring and unity is broken. And when that happens within the church community, 
It has a huge impact on the whole family. Joy goes, the atmosphere becomes very strained, we become very defensive, walking on eggshells, and you know what? Our witness is massively affected. And this is the case here in Philippi. And it's serious enough for Paul to actually name these two out loud. So what's Paul's advice? Well, firstly, he pleads with them, you know, again, showing that this this isn't a small matter. I plead with you to be of the same mind in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, you know, remember that whatever you are disagreeing about, whatever it is that separates you, remember there is something far, far greater that unites you. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is urging them to see there is a bigger issue at stake, bigger than getting their point across or getting their own way. And it's the very gospel, the mission of God. To be of the same mind just simply means just agree. Agree in the Lord. They can agree in the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God that they both have received. They are sisters in Christ. They can agree on the call of God on their lives to be witnesses, to make disciples. Saying, look, just remember what unites you. Remember who unites you. See the bigger picture. This is so much more important than your own personal agendas. You know, agree together that the real issue at stake here is the disunity in the church. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, as citizens of heaven, we don't have to react to hurt and offense in the same way. Why? Because we have died to ourselves. We live for Christ, who has forgiven us so much. What right have we to hold on to offense? You know, we say, well, I've got a right to be heard. I've got a right to prove my point. I've got a right to get even. No, we've died to ourselves. We live for the glory of Jesus. And being where there's disunity, that is not glorifying God. But when there's unity, that's where God commands a blessing. You know, this really is a call to die to ourselves. If you're in a conflict at the moment, don't allow your emotions to motivate you. See the bigger picture at stake. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Secondly, very practically, Paul asks for some of the leaders in the church to step in and help these women bring reconciliation. Again, it follows Jesus' advice in Matthew 18, brilliant chapter on handling disagreement and conflict. You go to the person first. They still don't listen. You bring some help. You bring the leaders in. Still don't listen. You take it to the church. You know, great practical advice. Because when hurts run deep, it can be so helpful to have other people to come alongside, bring some mediation, bring some perspective on the situation, bring some encouragement. You know, it was to help these two dearly loved members of the church. It was out of love to be reconciled, to be reconciled. 
think it's also worth pointing out that reconciliation does not always mean that the issue is resolved. Sometimes there's a big difference between reconciliation and the issue being resolved. I mean, these women might never agree on the particular issue, you know, whatever they were arguing about. But they can agree for it not to get in the way of their unity. They can agree that. They can be reconciled together even though they have differences of opinion. You know, they, they can agree with the help of their church to, to put into practice all that Paul has been encouraging them to do. This whole thing of being single-minded, being of the same love, being of the one in spirit and one in mind. We need each other, don't we, to help us in this journey, this growth in maturity. You know, and, and again, just to say, being of the same mind doesn't mean we have to all think the same. And agree on every point. You know, God has created us to be wonderfully diverse. We all see things in different ways. We all have different perspectives. And I think that's a, that can be a real strength. It would be a nightmare if everyone saw things the way I see things. I think my life easier. But I don't think it would be very good for the church. Or for our witness. You know, it's okay to have different opinions if we clothe it in humility and in grace and in love, as we prefer one another, as we, we consider others better than ourselves, as we sacrificially and, and, and servant-heartedly love one another, then it doesn't matter if we've got difference of opinions. Because then you're a peacemaker. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a peacemaker. Just, just to remind ourselves, Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. A couple of verses later, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible, you are responsible for the way you respond and react. You know, you can't be responsible for someone else. But as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 12, sorry, Romans 14, 19. So then, we pursue, there's that proactive, put into action, we pursue the things that make for peace. Are you pursuing the things that make for peace? Or are you stirring things up? Pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. What a different environment that is to the rest of our world. Dog eat dog, tearing each other down. No, no. We pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And of course, Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And again, there is a big difference between being a, a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. You know, being a peacekeeper is all about avoiding conflict at all costs. As I said, conflict is a necessary thing, really, a vehicle for change. It can be. And being a peacemaker is not avoiding conflict at all costs. That's just called appeasement. That's just like being in a relationship and just saying yes, dear, to everything. Because it's an easier life, isn't it? Yes, dear. 
Yes, dear. There's no joy in that, is there? That's not being a peacemaker. There's no real unity in that either. That's pretty joyless existence. Peacemaking goes back to the golden rule, speaking the truth in love. That's what it's all about. When Paul writes the Ephesians, he says this, Ephesians 4.15, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love is the hallmark of maturity. Of maturity. As I said, conflict is inevitable. But if we keep truth and love front and center and not allow our emotions and our hurts to drive a wedge of bitterness and resentment and enmity between us, then we can grow to be mature examples of Christ's body. I just want to finish, because I want to leave us time to respond in communion. I'm just going to finish by basically um, nicking an acronym from a book called Managing Conflict by a certain author. It's by two authors. One's called Claire Masters, um, shamelessly uh, plugging her book, and Chris Ledger as well. Great book, Managing Conflict. If you need to get some copies, do we have some spare copies? We do have some spare copies. See me afterwards. But there's this acronym, and it's called TACKLE. Because we need to tackle conflict. We can't let it lie festering. Basically, the T is coming up there. Brilliant. The T is trigger. It's really important to first identify that the thing that sparked this whole situation off, as I said, so often it can be buried under hurt and under emotion. You know, you just kind of forget, well, I can't even remember what this triggered this, this off. There's just this enmity between us now. Identify what it was that triggered us to get to this point. And then A, acknowledge. Acknowledge our pain. Acknowledge the fact that this does hurt. We're not brushing this under the carpet. We need to deal with hurt. We need to deal, we need healing quite a lot of the times. Be honest with ourselves. Acknowledge the emotions that have been stirred up. Be honest with ourselves. Actually, am I feeling judgmental towards this person? Is this just anger that I'm allowing to turn into sin? The C is for consider. This is quite sobering. Consider the part you have to play in this conflict. But that also means consider the choices that you have got in front of you. Am I going to choose to go down the route of tearing this person down to defend my honor? Or am I going to choose to follow the path of Jesus Christ to recognize, actually, I'm called to forgive? In your anger, do not sin. We need to allow God's love and forgiveness and grace to guide us. Am I going to allow that to happen? Am I going to allow that to guide me rather than my hurt? And my pain. K is for keep. Keep asking for discernment. Keep asking for discernment. Because listen, we have an enemy who loves disunity. As I said, it destroys our witness. And he is a stirrer. He is an accuser. And we need to ask for discernment. Where is the enemy at work here? 
But we don't fight against flesh and blood, folks, do we? We're not attacking and fighting the person. We can fight the spirit behind it. We can fight the spirit of disunity. Where is he at work? Ask God for discernment. Very importantly, L, lean on God. Lean on his grace, on his strength. We can't do this in our own strength. It's only in the grace of God to help us respond in a Christ-like manner. And finally, E, exercise patience. God, give us patience for one another. You know, this sometimes, it's not a quick fix, is it? When hurts run deep, we need to allow God to heal us. We've got to remember that God is at work in the other person as well, the other party as well. As I said, sometimes the issues are never resolved, but there can be reconciliation in Christ Jesus. So we tackle conflict with truth and grace and masses of love. That is why Paul could say at the end of this section, rejoice in the Lord. What, even with all this going on? Yes, rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And that is where we're going to be heading next week. Kieran's going to be preaching on that section as well. How we rejoice in the Lord, how we turn to praise. And that in itself unifies us and gives us the same mind in the Lord. Shall we all stand if you're able? I'm just going to pray over us.